Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Dolls of Our Lives, the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary, and in a moment, you'll hear from Allison. I'm just hopping in to offer a brief introduction of a very special guest that we got to interview both for our book and on this episode. We really wanted you to hear from the guest herself about her illustrious career. Our guest today is Mary Wiseman. And if you're not familiar with Mary Wiseman, you might know her by another name, Miss Manderley from the Felicity books. And in chapter two of our book, we actually recount our trip to Colonial Williamsburg, where we went to retrace Pleasant Rollins steps. It's the place she went to be inspired and was inspired, I should say, to create American Girl. And Mary Wiseman had a really illustrious and formative career there. She, for 45 years, um, developed training programs, conducted primary source research, and guided tours and programs throughout the historic area. In 1981, she created a new interpretation plan of the governor's palace, employing living history actors for the first time. And she really helped to pioneer and create the concept of character interpretation, which removed people's reliance from scripted encounters, or as she'll describe, kind of the embarrassing, you know, if you go to a place that where people act like they're living in the past and you try to take their picture and they say, what's that? You know, she doesn't, she doesn't go for that. Instead, she's doing really highly informed interpretation as um, folks in history, in 1991, around the time Felicity was created, she, as the artistic director for character interpretation, also became the manager of women's history at Williamsburg. And um, the last 17 years of her career before she retired around the pandemic, she actually um, was Martha Washington at Mount Vernon and interpreted Martha's life for many years and, and just was a huge mentor to people who are really huge in public history, including Christy Coleman, who's the executive director of Jamestown Yorktown Foundation and so many others. And it was really such a joy to spend time with Mary, um, really just benefiting from her experience, helping to develop Felicity and to invite her back on our show so that she could share some of her experiences with all of you. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Mary Wiseman. Hi everyone, this is Mary and I'm here to talk to you about one of our favorite sponsors of our show of all time, and that's Uncommon Goods. If you wanna hear where'd you get that this holiday season, Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa or your entire family, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Here's a few of my favorite gifts I found on their site. So recently, I went on their site to just find a little surprise for Anna. And I don't know about you, but Anna loves puzzles. And she, we both love advent calendars. I don't know what is going on in the economy of advent calendars. Like someone should study this, but there are, there's been an explosion 
of varieties of advent calendars out there, and I found one that is perfectly designed for Anna on Uncommon Goods. It's called Through the Window Puzzle Advent Calendar, and it's really cute. It's an illustration of a building, and each window you can look into and see a really cute holiday scene. And each day you get to open up a piece of the puzzle and put it together. And for someone who loves puzzles, this is sort of a dream situation. I have not gotten to the place in my life where I can sit and do a puzzle. Someone pray for me, it's gonna happen soon. But I mean, essentially I can find gifts for everyone in my life on this site. And I really like it because it often features a lot of work by artists and small businesses. And that's really important to me when it comes to buying gifts this holiday season. I also like that with every purchase, um, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. So far, they've donated more than $2.5 million, which is really impressive. I bought myself a gardening bench that has a detachable holder for little gardening tools. Now that I've moved into a house with a yard, I'm really looking forward to having a garden next year, and I can already anticipate using this a lot. Um, so there's just so much there. There are times when I genuinely wish I like the queen of Christmas where I carry just had an open checkbook, a, you know, credit card with no limit. And I could just say one of everything, please. I love this site truly. And if you want to check it out, there's so many fun craft ideas on there, jewelry, stuff for your house, just fun things. Um, feel free to hop on the site and use our discount code to get 15% off. So to get 15% off of your next gift for yourself or for someone else, go to uncommongoods.com slash American Girls Pod. That's uncommongoods.com slash American Girls Pod for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. but we just want to welcome you to our show and we're just so grateful to have you joining us today. I am so delighted to be with you and what wonderful memories to share. I'm always happy to do that. I'm delighted to talk with you all. Now, you know, I'm tempted to call you Martha because I know you've been Martha Washington in the past. You've been, you are Ms. Manderley to us, um, American Girl fans. But, you know, I want to kind of begin, if we can, going back to the beginning of your career at Colonial Williamsburg. You know, we had this great opportunity to talk to you for our book. And to me, you're one of the stars of the book. You're such an interesting you're a person with such an illustrious career. Um, can you take us back to your earliest days at Colonial Williamsburg? You know, what was it like when you began and, and what work were you doing? Oh, that it's wonderful to remember. Colonial Williamsburg will soon be celebrating its 100 year anniversary. And I can remember being there 50 years ago and thinking, how old will I be when we celebrate <laughs> the 100? And now looking back, I've been consulting about the history of the place and so glad that I've been such a part of it. I'm so proud of that. It was the wonderful years to be there. I began in 1975 and uh, I, I began by learning everything about the town. I took tours throughout the entire town of Williamsburg and it was we had six months of intensive training, and it was a wonderful education in colonial history. We had all kinds of groups. Of course, I loved the young people especially, and I enjoyed taking school groups around uh, the town. It was, it was a, a wonderful uh, basis for everything that would come after that. But um, in 1981, 
I was asked to work with the interpreting team who was reinventing the governor's palace. And they wanted to have um, the palace come to life with actors there. And they wanted, also they thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had these personalities come to life? There were many who thought that Colonial Williamsburg would never have actors, you know, portraying uh, anyone. <laughs> but we, I was fortunate because I did have the background in history that I worked with the team and was able to bring the authenticity to the roles that we created. So I was assistant uh, to the, um, the manager of that palace team and then the historic area who brought the, um, they called them actors on the street to life. And then because I didn't need a script, I had already knew the information, um, I created this new, uh, new idea. And that was the character who didn't need a script, who was so well-versed in history that they could talk just naturally with the visitors. And uh, that began a whole other part of my career uh, as uh, a manager of character interpretation and uh, then the artistic director for the way that that interpretation would develop. And out of that, of course, we became so aware of so much of the town that as it was so much involved in the political history of the colonial times, had not really looked into the African-American population and, of course, the women of the town. So I'm proud to say that I worked very closely with um, Rex Ellis to create the other half tour and the beginnings of um, of the African-American programming in, in Williamsburg. And then, of course, the women. I, I always said, I don't know if it's ever going to be called the Betty and Peyton Randolph House. It's still the Peyton Randolph House, but we need to emphasize the women who were there. So I brought together a group of women in the foundation. We called ourselves the Forum for Women in History, and um, we decided that every year in the month of March, which is Women's History Month, we would have a new topic and focus on that. The widows of Williamsburg, women's family passages. I, I had uh, a wide variety of the four women of Carter's Grove, a lot of different programming each year that would emphasize the important role in women. And I got a special gift that I didn't realize at the time would have such an impact on my life because one of the years I chose the program Beside the Great Man, not behind the great man, mind you, but beside the great man. And I began research on Martha Washington. And that changed my entire life. I, I had not known about her, even though her beginnings were in New Kent County, where I presently live, by the way. Uh, close to Williamsburg, she had not been really studied as part of the foundation's history. I was singing in Bruton Parish Church Choir, where her grandfather had been the first rector, her great-grandfather. Uh, I was walking past the graves of her uh, first husband and her first two children every Sunday, yet no one had ever taken the time to bring her to the forefront uh, in studying even her early days near Williamsburg. So that mm -hmm. opened a whole world to me, and um, it, it grew from there. I had portrayed many characters in the course of my career, and um, that, of course, was the, the one I, I've quite, I think you could say, fell in love with. So I, I began imagine. interpreting Mrs. Washington. And it, it was a strange um, 
a path that took me away from my beloved Williamsburg. I was living in the historic area. People always ask what it's like to live in one of the houses, and it was wonderful. But my teenage daughter at the time thought that it it did cramp her style a little bit. She couldn't play her music too loudly, you know, in the <laughs> yeah. historic area. But now she looks back as an adult with fondness towards the whole thing. But I just felt I was doing many programs uh, that where I felt people wanted to know more about her life with the general. And, of course, that led me to Mount Vernon. And uh, the next that next phase, um, 25 years I portrayed Mrs. Washington. And in uh, 2004, I moved uh, myself to uh, the same week that she went from the Williamsburg area as the new bride to Mount Vernon, I I also journeyed there. And uh, until COVID came, uh, I had the pleasure and great honor to represent her there at Mount Vernon. I retired as, as kind of part of that whole, those whole COVID years. And uh, uh, I look back on it now with, with great delight and great fondness. And interestingly enough, my life has come full circle because I am living with my son and, and a teenage grandson in about, I think, within 10 miles of where she was born here in New Kent County. So I've come full circle back to um, to this area. New Kent County lies almost exactly between Richmond and Williamsburg. So I'm back in the area. I often go into Williamsburg again. And by the way, even at Mount Vernon, we celebrated uh, American Girl when uh, once a year we would have a program where uh, girls could come with their dolls and uh, we had a little tea party. And when I would say to them as Mrs. Washington that, yes, I knew Felicity Merriman. Indeed, I was present at her birth. They looked at me strangely and said, how does Martha Washington know her? But, of course, I was and did. So it has all come into a wonderful full circle. And it's one of the blessings of getting older that you can look back on um, on your life and uh, just delight in sharing as I am delighting in sharing with you. Thank you so much for offering us that, you know, that history of your amazing career. And I, I want to take us back before we get into your involvement with American Girl. So much of what you've shared about what inspired Pleasant to create American Girl was to provide girls with stories that, you know, a lot of girls didn't have, including perhaps yourself growing up. I mean, how did when you arrived at Colonial Williamsburg and when you were growing up, were you interested in history? Did you have did you feel like history was something that spoke to you? Yes, you know, that that is something I had. I was given as a gift um, and it would come each, I think each three months. I was given, I, I don't remember the name of the company, but it was a historical dolls company. So I can remember playing with, uh, I had a little um, boy and girl doll that he was a cavalier. She was in costume. And uh, I loved, I was an only child. And uh, much given to, you know, flights of imagination. So I would always play with uh, with those costume dolls. And I, I loved um, anything that was historical fiction when I was in high school. Um, I just, um, you know, I was 
Halloween, I was I was wearing my hoop skirts. And, you know, it was nice. so I was always very very interested in the and it it called to me even then, even before I had. I, I didn't have, although my parents, um, we traveled to um, Monticello and Mount Vernon when I was young, I I didn't know, as most people don't, I didn't have a, a great knowledge of uh, our own colonial history, but it, it all just seemed to come together. I can remember um, coming to Williamsburg for the first time and thinking, oh, this is this is the right place, hearing the sound of the of the horses and the carriages on the street. And um, I came when my then husband um, became a professor uh, at William and Mary. And uh, I remember him saying, you're going to like this place because it's got all this history. And of course I did. And uh, so it was, it was a perfect place to, to come. It was, you know, faded, I suppose. But yes, I, I always had a feeling for, anything in, in, in costume and, and uh, anything that I could do in that way. I think something that, you know, our listeners are going to be so excited to learn about is the fact that you developed not just kind of a passing relationship with Pleasant Rowland, but that you really played an important role in, you know, starting something that a lot of us have really connected with. So maybe if you could take us back to kind of those early days of, even before Felicity's birth, so to speak, kind of those early meetings and connections you had? Oh, wonderful. Yes, I I remember being slightly puzzled when I was called to the office of the vice president for the historic area. He was a wonderful encourage, uh, encouragement uh, person for all the arts and everything that we were doing. His name was Dennis O'Toole. And uh, he had backed every one of the programs that I would come up with um, uh, in my character interpretation days. So I knew that that he knew me because of that. But when I got called to come and meet, um, I think she was described as a, a children's book author at the time. I had not heard the name Pleasant Roland, but I remember walking into the office. I remember very clearly sitting in at a table meeting her and uh, her her lovely face. And, and by the way, I don't know how many people are aware. I think this was of a purpose that all of the original dolls had Pleasant's face. That's <laughs> and, mind blowing uh, they, to me. The two, they were they were they had different eyes, eye color, and and complexion and hair, but they were all her beautiful. She had a beautiful, uh, ple- truly pleasant face. And I can remember her lighting up as we talked and then her her saying, um, well, I've got this, you know, this, this idea. And um, at the time, Dennis O'Toole said, well, you know, Mary studied, um, I I did a lot with children's programming too. I had a young ladies program and I had a young gentleman of the college program where I had teenage um, participants who, the young gentleman would be the young students at the College of William and Mary, and I had the young ladies of accomplishment, I called them, who would be being taught tea by Miss Manderley, myself, and their deportments. And uh, so he introduced me in, in, in that particular way to her, and I think that fascinated her because I, I had studied um, the manners of, of the day as well. So we, when we began to talk uh, then, 
what was a continued conversation, I can remember many times talking with Pleasant. She she loved Williamsburg. Um, she actually told me that she believes, because of the timing of it, that she was actually conceived when her parents were in Williamsburg. So oh, wow. She had a wow. spiritual yeah, feeling. And she talked about, um, you know, the, the young girls and, and how much um, I was enjoying them and, and how these modern young girls seem to want to take time out after school to come and, and, um, and learn and perform. And I think the hardest thing for all these young girls is they had to take a pledge that they wouldn't get tan in the summer. <laughs> so that, wow. was, that was their, their sacrifice, as you can imagine. But she was fascinated by that. And as we began talking, uh, she revealed to me, and, and often after that, that you know her greatest love was, of course, teaching history, that history could be taught. And she was thinking up stories um, that she could, she could illustrate the history to, to students before the idea of an actual doll uh, occurred to her. And then, then she began to, um, to talk about how she felt that young girls who were, and especially now after this, this success of this Barbie movie, I have to say that she wanted um, an antidote to Barbie. She said, I want a doll that, you know, is not a Barbie, that is, is more like a child. Um, I want a, a companion for, for these girls at a certain age when they are most impressionable. And there was a lot of talk about how she said, I worked so hard to make sure the doll was the exact right size to be held and by, by a, a girl and how she wanted to postpone these girls at that very impressionable age from wanting to grow up too soon. Right. So that became married to her desire for the ability to teach history in that way. Mm. And of course it really spoke to me because of my, my dolls and, and, and responding to, to um, how that had, had made me appreciate history. So we, we hit it off immediately. And uh, she, we began um, a series of meetings when, um, from that point on, um, then getting into the, the, the writing of the books and um, the authenticity. I, I will tell you that I loved, uh, they would always call and check up on um, everything from the costuming to um, all the characters around the town of Williamsburg to make certain they were, they were representing the people there. And I, of course, had had a lot of experience by that time to be able to, to coach them. I have to tell you, and we always, we always uh, laughed about this. The one area where my advice was not taken was in Felicity's name. Because I, I protested by saying that Felicity was a New England name. We didn't have Virginia girls named Felicity. And I, I suggested Nancy, which there were there were a lot of nicknames in the colonial period. So Anne's, for example, were always called Nancy. Um, Martha's were called Patty or Patsy, as Martha Washington was called Patsy. Interesting. And, um, you know, I, I kept saying, well, how about this name or this name? And they said, well, but we want something that's really going to stand out for that period. So. I grew. I reconciled myself to the fact that it was going to be Felicity, and uh, in, in a good-natured way. You know, we 
we uh, we settled on that. But I I still remember saying I don't know I don't you know this is <laughs> well Mary speaking of speaking of names I don't know if people listening are aware that you actually are Miss Manderley, speaking of the Felicity books. And can you tell us a little bit about, I know you were there when Felicity was born, but can you tell us a little bit about Miss Manderley and how she was born and also the interesting story behind her name? Oh, well, yes, I will confess it. And and again, in doing so, I, I hope it's not not going to be a detriment to my uh, quest to be always historically correct and things. Yes, I I uh, decided when I was bringing these young girls together in their um, programming that the best way to teach them was for me to become the colonial teacher of manners and deportment. And I remember I was calling the girls together for one of their first classes, and I had played many um actual women of the 18th century, um, Lady Tryon, Mrs. Powell, Mrs. Getty, um, Christiana Campbell was my first character. I had done many, many characters, but I thought, um, who can I, who can I be uh, to be this, this deportment instructor? And I had just watched for the, I don't know, hundredth time, I'm exaggerating there, but I had just watched uh, Rebecca, <laughs> the the wonderful old film. Oh right, and yeah. uh, you know when they began last night, I came to I went to Manderley again. So I just off the top of my head said, "Well, call me Miss Manderley," <laughs> and that's how it started. Believe it or wow. not, it was, they, they 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 began to love it, and they in our behind the scenes classes kept calling me that. So when we began to to be in the public and we had many Christmas programs and, um, you know, we we just we uh, really covered so many different parts of of the um, the year. You know, we'd have a springtime, we'd have Christmas, we'd we'd have something special for the girls to be doing. But I I was stuck with it. I was there, Miss Manderley, and and she stayed. <laughs> wow. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, how Val- you worked with Valerie Tripp as well and also had a young um, a young person who worked with you, Michelle, who actually inspired a really important piece of the Felicity story? And we can't leave out my beloved Valerie uh, Tripp. She came and uh, we did a program actually at Mount Vernon of, of an interview with the two of us uh, there. And we were reminiscing, and of course, Valerie um, shadowed uh, me a lot with the with the girls. And uh, one of my uh, young women who came uh, as an intern to Williamsburg, uh, Michelle Cood, was also working with the young ladies, and she had beautiful red hair. And when they were trying to decide how Felicity would look, I said, "I've got somebody for you. I think she would make a wonderful Felicity." And so her, her beautiful red hair uh, was chosen. And Michelle, who uh, has made an amazing career as a professor of education, um, really was an inspiration to the girls as well. She was just enough older that they could look up to her. And uh, she has, uh, has always been a great supporter. She, had, she adopted two little girls from Russia and I have to tell you, as I have only grandsons, I made a gift of 
my Felicity doll, which was a present from Roland to her as uh, for her to have. And I'm, I'm glad she has that in, in safekeeping. So she was a a great influence in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, I, that when, by the way, Pleasant was so wonderful. My first grandson was born during the year that we were premiering the, the whole program and the whole doll in Williamsburg during that, that uh, year of 91. And I received the most beautiful, huge, magnificent box of beautiful layette for a newborn baby layette that, that um, Pleasant had sent for me. Wow. So isn't that wonderful? Though? Very did, generous. She was always very thoughtful. Now, always when, very thoughtful. When, the, when Felicity debuted in 1991, there's actually a really great video that's out on YouTube that you can watch of that weekend, and you're in it, and you actually see your performance as Miss Manderley. It looks like you guys put on a play and you know I think before when we spoke about this you said you felt like a rock star that weekend can you take us through kind of like what was it like when Felicity launched and then you know being at Williamsburg after that and having young girls and boys come who you know brought their Felicities with them and and knew the books like what was that experience like for you? Oh it was it was really something I had no idea that it it would have such an impact and I think Williamsburg was absolutely the foundation was absolutely amazed at the response when we held the teas in the program it was in the largest room we had and we had you know you looked out and you saw grandmothers as well as mothers and these little girls and how delighted they were i think my most difficult part was that we put on a little play as, as part of their tea and um we were so used to uh, improvising. I've never, never used a script. I've always, um, even when I would do two-hour programs as Mrs. Washington, I, I, I did it from my own recall. So to have the conversation over and over and over again, and we had to do it exactly the same way because we had the young girls who were, were performing in it. And that, that was kind of restrictive, but I got to teach them manners and I got to talk with them. But Oh my goodness! Between the between programs, I I couldn't even go to the restroom without having them running after me. <laughs> That's oh, where wow. I felt like a rock star. So I, you know, every they had to slip me in the back door and uh, of the the lodge just to to get us started, and that that was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed it, and it was again quite remarkable. We we had I don't think anyone had any idea of the immediate impact that this this whole program that the doll every everything about American Girl would have I mean it's just it was just amazing from the very very beginning and I I will say that uh, in talking with Valerie now just in the last few years we we hold those years so dear Uh, they they were extraordinary for us as well as for the the families who came and and the and the little girls and you know uh, thereafter they would come in clutching their dolls wherever I'd be interpreting and even when I was portraying Mrs. Washington I would have to think well yeah I I'm kind of a mixture for them I think but uh, I I loved it I loved being a part of watching history truly come alive and you know Colonial Williamsburg then uh, established teas in the summertime. Uh, it became quite um, quite a, an amazing part of the Williamsburg experience 
So I'm really proud to look back at that. Were you able to do a lot of Felicity events in the governor's palace? I feel like people who remember the third story really well know that that's such a big part of her kind of evolution that she gets to attend this special ball. And I know for us, it was so cool to actually go back there and then to get the manners lesson. Could you talk a bit about like what you've done in that space around Felicity or any kind of cool programs you've done there? Well, I, I did a lot of programs in the palace, but I was not Mrs. Miss Manderley there. I was Lady Tryon there. And also, um, you know, I, I think I was mainly behind the scenes. I, I was doing a lot of, for instance, I was in the um, the old miniseries now. George Washington was Barry Bostwick and Jacqueline Smith and um, Patty Duke. And we shot uh, a lot of uh, scenes at, in the palace ballroom and had to learn all the dances and all. And I always say that uh, at the time I had a, a partner. I was not playing Mrs. Washington then. I was uh, I was uh, a friend at the ball, but I attended the ball and even Mrs. Washington's wedding with a young actor. And uh, at the time, I could not imagine he would become well known. Um, but his name was Kelsey Grammer. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second, Mary. <laughs> back up. Mary, you did not tell us this story. This is crazy. Wait a second. You have to back up and you have to tell us every single detail of this story. Oh, goodness. Well, you know, being a, <laughs> in, in the early 80s and being an expert in deportment, I was called to meet with the stars of this miniseries and especially to work with Jacqueline Smith because she was portraying Sally Fairfax. Oh, wow. And so um, I, remember, I remember going to work with her and, and telling my then teenage son, you know, I had to go to teach Jacqueline Smith how to move. And he said, Mom, I think she already knows. <laughs> but she, <laughs> wow. was, she was the most charming, lovely person. She she really was. And eager to, to do everything the right way. And um, Patty Duke and, and Barry Bostwick was very serious, serious, serious being George Washington. I think that I was a thorn in the side of, of the director, however, because <laughs> I kept correcting them. And, I, you know, I'd say things like, well, actually, this dialogue does not sound authentic. You know, it, it should be gentlemen <laughs> cease this discussion. And I remember him saying, you know, Mary, we're not doing masterpiece theater. This is network, you know. <laughs> and then the, the famous scene was that I had to teach. Um, uh, there was a scene where Jacqueline Smith as Sally Fairfax is teaching the young George Washington how to read the language of the fan that, so he can know what the young girls are telling him. Sure. And they were, the script was very exaggerated, flopping the fan around, very Southern Belle. And I taught her, no, that actually the fan was held very constrained and it was, it was very much more dignified. Well, I was off camera at the time they were shooting the scene. And I remember the director, Buzz Kulik, said, said cut, cut. He said, Jackie, what, what are you doing? And she said, well, Mary told me this is the way they did it in the 18th century. And he looked at me very frustrated and said, no offense, Mary, but this is my 18th century. Sex that up, Jack. <laughs> wow. So when she, says, she does things like, and when the young lady puts the fan to her lips, she wants a kiss. You know, it was so exaggerated. But it was it was a lot of fun. And I was in three scenes. And um, they and my partner at the time was this young actor. 
And um, I, I, I probably shouldn't tell this, but um, he was having a hard time with a girlfriend who was in New York. So I remember pretty much the entire time, it was a couple of weeks of shooting, he was depressed in the terrible state about his girlfriend. <laughs> and oh, no. Every time I see a rerun of Frasier, I think about it. And who would have ever thought? At the time we were we were there shooting those scenes that um you know that one day I'd play Martha Washington and he'd be you know on twenty four hours a day practically on television so yeah that was uh it was an exciting time i I learned then and I've been in several history channel films since that i I never would have made it in in the movies i it i I like to have control over uh what I'm doing and um you know, I like the immediacy of it, and it's 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 very uh, tedious. And of course, the end of that story of my quote film career is that I was in the National Treasures movie they shot at Mount Vernon. Oh, really? And, uh, I was, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it, it, it's quite a, a leap to go from uh, from Kelsey Grammer to Nicolas Cage, but. Uh, they shot a, a big scene at uh, supposedly an evening event at Mount Vernon. Oh, that's and great. And it took several, several nights to do it. Uh, you can't really see me. At, at the time, uh, I was there with a, a, a George Washington character on the piazza. And I remember thinking, you know, that ice sculpture that they've got out there in the lawn is kind of obscuring us. Well, when I finally got a chance to go to see the film and, and my daughter and her friends were along eagerly awaiting my moment, you know, you couldn't really see us at, <laughs> at all. But it was it was a it was a, a interesting situation. We shot it at night all night long on a couple of nights. And um it was they had just come from shooting um, Pirates of the Caribbean. And I can remember I was very excited because I thought I was going to last get to go to the makeup trailer and get the, you know, the real, the real Hollywood once over. And I, I walked in and I, I had pretty much perfected my Mrs. Washington look for the public, but I didn't think it would work. Then I walked into the trailer and they said, you're fine. We don't need to do anything. Just go on. And I missed my chance at, at the real Hollywood makeover. So. But yeah, this, from one from one extreme to the other, I guess I've I've done the uh, the filming, but uh, I, I shouldn't have taken it so far away from the governor's palace. <laughs> no, we love, we love that story. No, it's great. Oh, you never. I mean, it, it was a in, very interesting time, and um, I did a lot of programming where I would be um, above stairs in in the large bedchamber at the palace as uh, Mrs. Tryon visiting, and. Uh, I would be there and hear this music, the sound of the music coming from the ballroom, and I'm sitting at this vanity, and I, I'm thinking, oh, this is just, you know, several times during my, my years uh, at Williamsburg, I, I really thought, you know, how do I get myself back? How you can study, you can. I was the first person, by the way, ever to wear an authentic a pair of stays, a corset. Oh, and wow. so they experimented with me because yes, I volunteered. I was on the costume committee and I designed costumes for the 18th century plays. And I thought we've got to be authentic. We, the ladies had the side hoops, but they were not wearing the proper undergarment. So I, I said, I'll be the guinea pig. And they, they tried several different versions until they got it right. And I was 
um, you know, wanting to experience that and uh, to have as much as I could the feeling of what it was really like. Uh, it's interesting, by the way, I, um, I've done a lot of programs on motherhood and um, it is very difficult, you know, when you're, when you're holding a baby and feeding the baby and they're cuddling to you, it is very difficult because you, you even they had nursing uh, um, breastfeeding stays at the time, but they always had that, that hard, um, you know, the hard surface of the stays. So even holding the children, you couldn't really cuddle them to you mm. in, in the way that we do now. It was really interesting. And I was the first to use babies. I, I had several moments where I had little children and babies um, as part of the, the programs I was doing. We also did a program on midwifery. Mm. And um, that was really, uh, it's chilling to realize what women went through. They, they truly knew that they were, that they could die each time. And it was a uh, really grueling. I had to, before they uh, went to the program on um, midwifery, we gave a little talk to the visitors and said, you know, this may not be something that, you know, you will want to hear about because it really was, um, just a, a tragic and, and, and very difficult, uh, very, very difficult time. So, yeah, I've had a lot of experiences trying to get back, trying to really know what it must have been like. I've ridden in the carriages. I've at our special Powell house for, for students. I cooked over the hearth side and made candles and spun and wove and broke flax and just generally tried to get as close as I could to that time, but you never really can. You can never know another another time period as they did. You you can only just try to That's get as true. close as you can. And I That's think true. getting back to our beloved American girl, I think that um, the attention to detail, Valerie was always so good about that, trying to, to give a, a real feeling of the everyday life of these these young girls was so important because it was it, it made it so much more real for them and and it's so important to realize that it um, life was quite a struggle then be, you know you had the contrast of the beautiful clothes that we think of and yet for a woman especially it was it was not an easy time at all and uh, so I think that was an introduction into wanting to know more about the period and and that Truly, that, that beloved little doll, I think, opened so many doors, as I don't need to tell you to that, I know. That's right. That's right. I, I don't know if you know this, Mary, but Allison is a park ranger by day. And um, she, yes, she's a very illustrious park ranger at the Blackstone Valley Park, um, previously at Lowell. And she's also worked at the Newport Mansion, um, Newport Mansions in Rhode Island. But in, in her work, one of our differences, she loves or is willing to do character interpretation. She loves dressing up in the costumes as you do, if you've beautifully described. I'm not really there. Like that's not necessarily my skill set. But, you know, I, I would love if you could kind of take us through and Allison, maybe you can hop in here and ask like a more specific question. But, you know, as someone without the experience, like how do you actually go get into preparing a character that you're going to embody? So in other words, like not giving a tour, but how do you become Martha Washington, for example? 
my dear. And, you know, this it's a favorite topic of mine. Well, I think, first of all, you have to surrender to the fact that, you know, you if I really stopped to think about it, I would, would never attempt it because, you know, here's this magnificent person of the past and all the people of the past, you have to, their dignity should be upheld. I mean, who who am I to be, you know, impersonating uh, this person? So you have to set that aside and realize that your objective is, is to educate. That's, you are not impersonating, you're not acting the role you are interpreting the role. Now, the visitor would probably describe it as being an actress portraying the, the person, but there's a very great difference in, in how you answer questions in what you decide to reveal. Um, you're giving away more than they probably ever would because you want you want to take the visitor into their world in, in a way that is more intimate than at the time the interaction would allow. So you have to begin by thinking, I'm doing this for an educational purpose. It's always about that. And when, once you do that, then you, you give yourself permission that this is, you know, this is, I know I'm not the real person, but I'm, I'm trying. I hope they will, would forgive me if this is my impression. But I always say that creating a character is very much like, you know, creating a flesh and blood human being you start with the skeletal structure, the hard facts of that person's life. And you, you do everything you can to, to know about not only their life, but the society in which they were living, the people they knew, the tasks that they were undertaking, the music they listened to. I'm a, a great believer in primary sources, and um, I love any letters, any diaries, I try to commit the 18th century language um, to, to mind. And I, I always say that I, 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 my, my only second language is 18th century language. I can translate into that. But um, that is, you know, you, you start with everything that you have that is hard evidence. And then you, you put the flesh and, and blood to that character by then thinking, okay, okay, this is the book that they were reading. This is the... Um, this is the way time, for example, in, in that period of time, you didn't think about it being, you know, 946. You know, it was, it, it was sunrise. It was daybreak. It, uh, time was told by hourglasses. Mm. Conversations took a long time. Nobody hurried through a conversation. Um, everything took a long time to cook a meal, to make a garment, to, to get anywhere, you know, so you 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 begin to slow down your your perceptions of of just getting through the day, and it becomes that flesh and blood becomes more natural as you then learn by virtue of what they're doing, what they're as Mrs. Washington. I was doing a great deal of needlework because she loved that. Um, anything that they're taking into their hand that uh, is around them that they know about that puts the flesh and blood and also what you can glean of their personality uh, reading some of these primary sources is, is just a joy because the um, the personality comes out uh ann blair i remember one of our wonderful uh characters who was alive during the time of martha washington she was the um 
uh, a young belle of, of, a, of a gentry class and got to go to visit at the governor's palace. And she recalled uh, when the when uh, Lord Lady Tryon visited Williamsburg, she said, it's rumored she rules the roost there. <laughs> and then she wrote, tis a pity. I like her husband vastly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, you know, say my heart, you know, my heart seems to be roving amidst a dear variety of gentlemanly acquaintances that she'd say, I just nicked it or I took a ramble down the street. You know, it was just, it was just, you got, you felt like the, here comes the personality. If you could get uh, any quotes or any way that, that uh, these people were referred to. I was very fortunate with Mrs. Washington because so many people wrote about her and uh, she was, well known for being uh, incredibly warm, incredibly uh, in, inviting, wanting guests to stay. Um, she, you know, was raised her grandchildren, mothering and and grandmothering were such a part of her life, and that came very naturally to me. Um, so you 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 have to look at their world, what what they're what how they're seeing the world too. And that that's a big leap. But um, I, again, I, I had so much experience. I, I created a whole program at Colonial Williamsburg called Keeping the Best Company. And in it, I had a, a man and a woman be dressed on stage. And then they would, uh, I would read the manners of Lord Chesterfield and they would demonstrate the proper uh, deportment. And then I was hostess at a tea. And at the tea, we never spoke anything but original um, words from the from the diaries and letters. Oh wow! So the whole conversation, yeah, I, I crafted the conversation so that it was totally from them, and that was was wonderful. So I am a primary source, you know, a great advocate of that, and I've got several um, wonderful letters of Mrs. Washington that I committed to memory so that I can phrase things the way she did as much as possible. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, even if you're using terms that are not known nowadays, you can, by underscoring them, you, you can give the meaning to, um, to the public who's not, not aware of it. I've never had any problem at all. There are some people who would say, You've got to make it more modern. I have never had a problem in all my years um, with people not understanding what I was what I was talking about. So I mm. I refuse to um, to modernize, as it were. But you know, you you go from all of that to the actual um, the moment when you are interacting with your visitor, and I also believe that you don't you don't play games. You don't say. What's that when they want to take a picture of you? You don't waste time with it. You don't waste any time. You have such a precious little time with your visitor to um, to convey uh, what you want to of the spirit of that person and, and those times that a lot of reenactors uh, like to you know kind of make it a little game with the um, with the modern people. I, I don't do that. I just go straight to the to the heart of things and. It served me well for I've been in the history business almost fifty years now and and i've it, I've never been disappointed. It's interesting though, when I think about my beginnings, we started out after all this these six months of classes 
taking fourth graders through the town. And I well remember my first tour, I told the, the children I had, I said, you know, if footprints could last 200 years, you'd be walking in George Washington's footprints. And I'll never forget, it was a little girl who a little later said, Mrs. Wiseman, Mrs. Wiseman, I see one. I see George Washington's <laughs> footprint. That's so cute. And I've been following him in her footprint ever since. I'm wondering because, you know, you've had so many different programs that you've helped, um, you've been involved with, and in talking about how to get people to kind of access the past or think differently about things that existed then that, you know, are not part of our lives now, like you were integral to the um, invention of the African-American interpretation program. And I remember previously you sharing that when you first started giving tours at Colonial Williamsburg, slavery wasn't discussed on the tour. Can you talk about how you, you know, the, the interpretation of slavery changed and, and how character interpretation became part of that? Oh, it's it's amazing to think back to that time because it just um I, I can't believe that that we went so many years and, and it was never discussed. And I can remember when we would have school groups and we would have them role playing. Uh I distinctly remember um thinking uh, when I had some African American children, what how could they identify with these with the role and and what could we do to better explain it we had um uh, then in most of the kitchens that were open um they had chosen to hire um african-american women as interpreters but they weren't in character yet they were in costume and it was i remember thinking how difficult it was for them because it was putting them in a position of being the cook without being the cook and and wondering what what can we do to um you know to to make this better so it was because of working with the character program that we were able to get the first characters um to come in and a wonderful group of 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 young people um who would portray actually portray an enslaved person and this was Really, it was groundbreaking at the time, but I cannot stress enough how much we were just more than supported by um, Dennis O'Toole, the vice president, Carrie Carson, who was the um, the uh, vice president for research. We had a wonderful, um, supportive uh, a foundation that was willing to give us a chance to try these programs out. And we, we, I think we really, um, we really brought life to the historic area. They also did some um, African-American music programs and, um, you know, storytelling. It began to branch out. And then came the time to work it in. I was, I was doing a tour called According to the Ladies which was the first tour ever done in character. And I was told when I created it, um, can you really do a tour of the town just through the eyes of a woman? What about the capital? What about the politics? Well, I proved you could do it. And I thought, all right, we need to do this to, to emphasize what was really by population. It was the other, it was half of the population of the town. Right. And I can remember when I came up with the title, the other half, one of the directors said, um, the other half of what? That title. <laughs> then he went home and wow. the next day he said, 
my wife liked that title. So oh, man. That's how that, that part began. And, um, and we brought so many young people um, aboard. What I, I think our, our most well-known today is Christy Coleman, who I began working with when she was 17. And wow. she is now very, very prominent. She's the, um, uh, the head of the Jamestown Yorktown Foundation. Uh, she's, she's just risen so beautifully um, in her career. I have sort of a two-part question. The first is kind of a silly part, which is how many Felicities do you think you've met over the years? And then what do you think, you know, as a character, the legacy of Felicity Merriman is? Because you've been there from the beginning, as you said. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, we had when we had our programs at Mount Vernon, where, of course, the, you know, the, the uh, company has expanded. So that we had little girls bringing their dolls, the, the dolls that look like them, the, you know, the other Samantha and the other dolls. There was always a Felicity. And I, <laughs> I was so delighted to see that she, we never had a program without, without a Felicity coming. And I was, she, she survived and, and still goes on today. I don't know how many thousands. I, I can't even begin to, uh, to, to count back. You know, I just, um, it, 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 she just became that, that, um, that symbol to me of, um, what can really happen when, when you, when you ignite that, that spark, you know, when you, um, Tilden always writes, when he talks about interpretation, put there a spark and to get that, I always say that what you have to do when you're interpreting the past is, is make what's on the other side of the, you open the door. And you, you've got to make it uh, intriguing enough for the visitor to want to pass through. And with Felicity, there was no, it was just, you know, the barn door opened you know, and everybody was racing through. So I can't even begin to, to, to imagine how many I've seen. I think that because she was really the first and because of her role, and I think the clever, the wonderful way that Valerie um, made her a part of the spirit of this new nation, you know, that she would not drink the tea. And uh, I think that um, that tied in with uh, the, the American story. I think coming up on the 250th, there needs to be perhaps a revision of that, of that, uh, that scene where she's not going to drink the tea, because that really made the, um, made the politics even personal for a, a young girl. And that, that is so exciting. So I think her legacy is that she was really married to that special time in our history and uh, that seminal time and it made, made, these, made these young people feel that they were a part of it too, as she had been a part of it. So I think it's a wonderful, wonderful legacy. That's that's very well said and, and certainly something that we feel, too, as people who those were the first books we read on our show, Mary. I don't know if you know that, but those were the first books that we reread were the Felicity books. So we want to just thank you so much for giving us so much of your time and and your talents and for all the, the work that you've done in your career. That's meant so much to visitors to Colonial Williamsburg, to Mount Vernon and, you know, especially for our show and people listening for fans of American Girl. Well, it's been a, a pure pleasure, and I, I know that uh, 
it reaches out to so many people and I'm so proud to have been a part of it and, and to remember those wonderful days and uh, meeting the woman so aptly named Pleasant Roland. <laughs> Hey everyone, Mary again, and I just wanted to take a second and thank everyone for just the amazing outpouring of support from our community for our book. It just came out and we're just so, so honored and it feels truly surreal to have this thing that lived on our Google Drive for such a long time now be out in the world. We want to thank our editor, Kat, her sister, Sally, who um, brought us to Kat's attention and our agent, Lauren, and everyone at McMillan, and all of you, most importantly, for continuing to support us and to help make this community such a rich and vital place. We've had some book events that have been truly so fun. Um, we were virtu- We had a virtual book launch with Margaret Lyons who we continue to stand. She's a queen. We love her. And thanks to everyone who came to our virtual book launch. And to those of you who came to Boston Public Library um, last week, we had such a great time in conversation with Librarian Aaliyah there and signing books and getting to meet so many of you. We do have some upcoming events. On November 14th, we will be at Cranston Public Library. We love a public library event on this podcast. And on November 16th, we'll be at the Connecticut Museum for Culture and History. Those are both in-person events where we'll be signing books. You can buy books. We will sign them. We chat with you. Um, We'll be in conversation at Cranston Public Library. We'll be doing a reading at Connecticut Museum for Culture and History. And then on Tuesday, November 28th, we will be doing an event at Trinity College, our alma mater in Hartford, Connecticut. At lunchtime, we're going to be having a 90s pizza party. So you can come and hear us read, ask us questions. We're all going to be signing books. And if you are not in the Connecticut area, you can join that event virtually. You can find all of this event info on our website at dollsofourlivespod.com under book events. And just truly, thank you so much. Everyone who's posted such sweet things about our books and tagged us, like it's been, it truly brought tears to my eyes to read it. It's just, it feels so vulnerable to put yourself out there in any capacity and, you know, to do that and have such a heartening response from people. It's just, it's beyond words. So I just wanted to take a second and thank you on both of our behalf. I know we both feel this way. Just thank you so much. We so appreciate all of you. Um, Please be in touch with us. You can find Allison at Allison Horrocks on Instagram and me at Mimi Mahoney. You can find the show at Dolls of Our Lives Pod and our website, dollsofourlivespod.com. We love hearing from you. We love hearing your thoughts about the book. And if you join our Patreon, our Patreon this month will be a um, Q&A episode where Allison and I will be collecting and answering any and all of your questions about the book, which we're looking forward to recording soon. And, you know, just thanks so much again. We really appreciate you.